just give one more opportunity for those of you who would, after the time of worship, would like to respond, share something, say something. Just if there's something that's been on your heart in that time of worship, I'd like to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Also, if you're new with us today, um, over here in this basket up by the window is some connection cards. We'd love for you to fill that out for us just so that we can uh, just catch up with you again sometime after the service and um, just to get to know more of your story. That'd be great. Zach back there wants to share something with us. So my dad got offered two jobs down in Texas, and he turned one of them down because it would be too much work. And so they went back to there. They're trying, so I don't. It's going to be longer if we do move to Texas. I may not. Does that mean you're going to be with us longer? We love that. I'm grateful for that. Amen. Amen. When you're when you're worshiping, sometimes you're reminded of some of the good things that the Lord's doing. Amen. Anybody else this morning want to share something? Just from that time. I know sometimes when I've worshipped the Lord, there's something precious on my heart. And, and we're a body here, so we get to share with one another what whatever God's putting in. Yeah. It's not just the pastor, obviously, right? So anyway, go ahead and turn with me uh, to your Bibles in the book of Philippians. Do you mind? I know what you're thinking. Like, didn't he spell that wrong and that's supposed to be mind? No, it's not. Now, there are times when that does happen, but it's not today. <laughs> so the book of Philippians, amen. Father, I want to praise you and thank you for this morning. Lord, we are really here because we want to hear from you. We want your word to us individually and corporately. And Father, we know that you speak to us with the intent that we should be able to um, perform all that and do anything that's according to your will. And Lord, we realize that we're sadly uh, lacking in that area when it comes to just a finite human perspective. Jesus, we need you every moment, every second of every day, because Lord, you're the one who gives us what sustains our ability to be able to know what your will is. And then you do, you work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. So today, Lord, as you're refining that in each one of us, and that, Lord, that will never be a lost focus, I pray, with every one of those who are called uh, into the kingdom of God, that we will always have the mind and the heart to know your will. Lord, we don't want to live one second, one moment, missing the mark, falling short of the glory of God just because we weren't in tune with you. So today, Lord, we just pray for you just to continue to tune us up even more so, and allow us the opportunity, give us the pleasure of hearing from you again. And Lord, I'm thankful that it goes beyond what happens here this Sunday. Lord, this is a, an everyday thing and occurrence to those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And Lord, you promised, this isn't my promise, but this is your promise, that we will be filled. And Lord, if we would seek your face, that God, that we will never be disappointed. And so I'm thankful, Lord, that that promise is to all of us, God, and that we come without money and without price. We don't have anything really to offer you except for our willingness. And Lord, that's good enough. Amen for that. Praise you, Jesus. So Lord, bless your word this morning. 
And Lord, open our ears to hear and our hearts to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So in the book of Philippians, I'm going to actually give you a little bit of what I've been getting for the last six months, at least five. We can say at least five. And that is the importance of understanding the contextual, even historical aspect of the Bible. So if we're dealing with hermeneutics, this is the way everybody should be looking at the Bible. And oftentimes we fail to do that. And so um, it's some of these terms are important to learning and understanding Scripture. So looking in the background of the book of Philippians, I think is crucial to anytime we want to talk or share about what are the truths that we glean from this book. And so one of them is, who's the author? It's really important because sometimes we think it's one author and it's not. But in this, it's pretty prevailing that Paul is the author. Now, I learned something interesting this week when I was going through um, and trying to figure out what is the difference from A.D. and C.E. Anybody know what the difference between, when they're giving dates, the difference between A.D. and C.E.? you got to be kidding me. There's not anybody here that knows the difference between those. Okay, so we've got Zach back there. Zach, share with us. No, not, not AC, but CE. CE. Giving you a little Bible quiz here. So this is wonderful. That means that after you guys leave this place, you will have a fact, every one of you, that you did not have before. So AD and CE basically are synonymous, except AD recognizes after death. Of uh, BC is before Christ, AD is after his death. But there's in a secular world this desire to redate things, and they use the same dating, but they take Christ out of it. So it's basically the same idea. So if you see that in any dating, you'll realize that it means common era. Common era. And that's their way of basically saying we recognize the dating, but we put a secular view on it and pull Christ out of it. Isn't that interesting? That's amazing to me. But So there's nothing in what I'm going to say ultimately that has to do with that specifically, but I think that's a good fact for us to know. And that was one I ran across. So I'm grateful that not every one of you raised your hands, and I was like the only one who didn't know. So praise the Lord. (laughs) So um, also Philippi, or the city of Philippi, was named after Philip of Macedonia, the father of Alexander the Great. Um, it was a major city of Macedonia between Rome and Asia. So it was like a roadway between these two um, vast places. And so this was a major city. It wasn't a small city. It wasn't a small community, but it was a major one. It was also the site of a famous battle won by Antony and Octavius in 42 B.C. So before Christ, B.C. Now, I find that sometimes for me, I scratch my head at the dates because I'm like, what is, but when you begin to realize that when you're looking at the historical part of Scripture, these dates are super important. So 42 B.C., so before Christ was born, we have this battle that had happened. In 30 B.C., so it goes backwards, um, Octavius made it a Roman colony. So we go downward and then we start going upward after A.D. So it made a Roman colony. Now this is really important because when you read of the Philippians, you'll also read 
in Acts chapter 16 about basically the beginning of this church. And so what had happened was, in Acts chapter 15, Paul goes in and he ministers with a few others and uh, he ends up with one of the women who has a, a spirit of divination and he casts that spirit out of her. But she was one who was um, bringing about a, the basically the financial support of that community. And so here she is. They're getting their gain off of her, basically fortune-telling and saying things of that sort. And now it's lost. After Paul's done with her and Jesus is done with her, now they lost that gain that they had. And so now they went in and they accused Paul and the other disciples of their teaching customs that are not agreeable to the Roman authorities. Does that make sense? So they're teaching a customs that are not agreeable to the Roman authorities. So that lands them in prison. But what gets them out of prison is they're ready to go get them out. And Paul says, why don't you have them fetch me out? We're Romans. And then that scares them. And they're like, would you please leave quietly and don't say a word? Because now they're afraid because they were Romans that because this is a colony of Rome that now they just step their own bounds. So that's why it's important to recognize this little fact in history that in 30 B.C. that they had made it a Roman colony. So here's a question for you. Philippians is one of the four prison epistles written by Paul. What were the other three? Or even one. Can we name one other prison epistle? You know what? And if you, if you raise your hand, and you don't know what it is, that's fine. Go ahead. Romans. No, but that's a good that's a good guess, right? Timothy. No, but that's a great one too. Actually, we could guess any one of them and probably be like, well, we feel like Paul could have wrote any one of those in prison. And he even talks about the prisoner of the Lord Jesus in some of those. Any other guesses? I appreciate the thoughts here. So the other ones... We don't have any other takers here. My wife, she could answer. She's like, look at it because I told her. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so the other ones are um, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Those were Paul's, along with Philippians, were his uh, prison letters. So I'm grateful that we're not overly educated here because now you'd be killing me because I didn't know some of these things myself. The purpose of this book is to thank them for the gift sent from Epaphroditus. Can you imagine a name like Epaphroditus? This man, and these are some of the biblical names, but anyway, Epaphroditus was one that the Philippians had sent to Paul, believing we believe that he was in prison, but to give him um, some things of need. And it doesn't specify what those things were, but it does specify that Paul was deeply thankful for what they had given. And Epaphroditus had met him. You'll also find out, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but Epaphroditus ended up somewhere in this journey becoming very sick. And Paul said that he was on the edge of death, but that God had had mercy on him and that he was recovered. He would recovered, and then Paul was sending him back to the Philippian church. Um. And so the one, one of the purposes here was to basically thank them for the gift that was sent and to comfort them concerning himself. Because he was in prison, 
and they were a church that deeply cared for him. And so Paul was letting them know that whatever their concerns were, that they could be relieved. And one of the things that he told them was that the gospel is finding its way out even though I'm in prison. So it's almost like me being here has created more of an opportunity for the gospel to be preached in other places. And so he was actually saying, I'm in comfort, all is well, God is at work behind the scenes while I'm in here. And I love one of the things that he had said was, he said that Christ may be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He didn't look at it like there was this, if I stay in prison, we're missing out on the will of God. But really, while I'm in prison, the Lord is still doing what he needs to do. And he wanted them to know that. And to let them know that he was sending Timothy. That was the other thing. So he was going to basically try and send both Timothy and Epaphroditus to this church. Um, and so then the theme of the epistle. So these are things, just the background of the, of the book. The theme of the epistle. Any guy, anybody have any thoughts on what the theme might be? What is the main theme of the epistle of Philippians? Got that quiet moment again. Any thoughts? You know, I, I don't know. I think it's probably Timothy, Thanksgiving, and prayer. He has Thanksgiving because, you know, that's, that's, that's what Paul, I think that's the main thing Paul wants to get across. Thanksgiving that's right. to God. Not Thanksgiving to me. That's right. Exactly. There was uh, joy, thanksgiving, and rejoicing. As a matter of fact, it says joy was mentioned throughout the epistle five times. Rejoice was found 11 times. Um, Philippians has been called the hymn of joy. Uh, so interestingly, that when he's in imprisonment, he's writing an epistle of joy. Just get that picture, is that He's writing an epistle of joy while he's in prison. Philippians 4.4. 4. So let's turn there real quick. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so this was a theme throughout this whole book. You'll see him saying it often. And um, it's repeated, I think, for, the, for a very specific purpose. So Paul is giving them a bigger picture of God at work through suffering. Through suffering. Now, how many of us actually feel like there's joy when we're suffering? I mean, really, we, uh, I love that. We've got a hand back here. Praise the Lord. There is joy in suffering, isn't there? And it's not because of the suffering itself. It's something else that's deeper than the suffering. And if we remember that, that's what's the, the important part here. So... Let's look at some of the things that go along with. What are some of the, the important parts of suffering? Because I think a lot of times we become disattached to why would God, you hear this, this said, haven't you? don't you hear this oftentimes? Why would God allow so much suffering? Why would God allow for that? And you know what? Maybe in the world 
there's not much of an answer for people outside of Christ. But when you begin to understand all that Jesus is, we begin to see a different picture here. So let's look into Philippians chapter 1, verse 4. We're going to look at verse 4, 8, and 9. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy. So there's that joy again. And then in verse 8, For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge of all judgment. So we come together in tragedy. What he's saying is is that whatever may be the sufferings and the tragedy of his imprisonment, this is an atmosphere in which we come together. And isn't it true that oftentimes when we see tragedy, people are there. You know, they might forget about you and, and as if you didn't exist and, and forget that you're important because they think everything's going well with your life. But when some hardship hits you, all of a sudden people are around you. Death happens and then there's somebody around you. And I want to encourage those of you who know Dawn right now. She just lost her son. And this is that time when we can be that to her. You know, she said the other day, she says, I'm, I'm fine to be alone. But I wanted, and I still felt like sometimes we don't really want to be alone and we do need somebody. So we want to send a flower, a gift, a card. Let her know, each one of you, that we deeply love her and share that love with her in this moment. We come together in these moments. See, this may not have been our son, but we know what it would be like if it were. And that would be a deep and and tragic loss for us. And maybe some of us have gone through those things. And all the more, painting the picture of what it's like to go through that time. And I remember when my dad had died, and I remember it just felt like everything in the room had gone dark. Everything felt dark to me. And even though I was still searching with all my heart and still trying to comfort myself mentally and emotionally, over the scriptures of Jesus is my joy, I found it hard to do so. But I tell you one thing, when you have somebody that's there with you, sometimes they're that shoulder that you cry on. Sometimes they're there in that moment of nobody else is there and nobody else showed up. And imagine a tragedy like this and nobody show up at your doorstep. Nobody's there. And you don't know how many times I've been with somebody and they and I ask them this simple question, has anybody walked through this with you? Has anybody been a friend in your situation? And I'll hear this oftentimes somebody say, no, nobody was there. And I want to remind you, you know, one of the best times to be there for somebody, and you probably could remind me of this actually, would be is uh, the people leave over time. Be the one there for the long haul. The one that calls them a year later, two years later, and asks them, how are you doing over that? And you know, they're probably doing fairly well, but that means probably more than a lot of other things. And that's a sermon in itself. And I think this is what Paul was encouraging in this particular part of this epistle and what it was all about. So also, let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Yet I suppose it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion and labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my needs. So we, one of the things that tragedy and suffer brings out to us is that we are ready to help 
when there is a need. And that kind of goes along with it. But, you know, there's somebody, if you offer, you tell them that uh, everything's going well, they quit knocking at your door. But let them know that there's a need in your life. And I pray that there's always somebody there in those moments. So your need is a moment when it's the Christian virtue comes out of us, isn't it? The beauty of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You have a need, and I want to be there. I may not be able to make that need uh, come together, but maybe I can find somebody who can. And so that's a tremendous place to be in. And thank God when He gives you the grace to be that person. And you know what? Sometimes you become that person, and you realize, man, everybody with all their needs comes to me. Why is that? Because you're an outlet of the grace of God, and it's prevailing in your life. And just remember, it's not the needs of people that keep you going. It's the joy that you have in the Lord that continues to fulfill and strengthen you in the call of God. And so I'm just thankful for those of you who are already on that meeting the needs uh, ministry that Jesus has put you in. And what a great thing it is for God's people to be grouped together. So all we need to do sometimes is have an ear to hear. And what's amazing is if you already have that heart, you know what I'm talking about. Most of the time, you don't have to go find the need. The need finds you. And praise God for those times. So here we have Epaphroditus to Paul. And, and Paul is saying, this man here. And you know there's only just a few verses about him. There's not hardly anything said about Epaphroditus. But you get his name and you get a little bit of details of his life. But one thing you get is how much Paul loved this man. He only devotes a few, few verses to this book, but he loves him. And I can only imagine the sufferings that Paul went through. Listen to some of the things that he says. Being a night and a day in the prison. Being uh, beaten with rods in shipwrecks. In hungerings and thirstings often. In nakedness. This was the kinds of things that Paul said. This was what his ministry was all about. Not prosperity. Not ease of life. But there was always constant sufferings and difficulties that Paul experienced. At one point in the Bible, it says, I was in prisons. I don't know if you ever caught this, but he says, in prisons, more frequent. The, the more faithful I am, the more I find myself landing in prison. They're trying to shut me up and stop the work of God in my life. And so whenever there's a minister of compassion to somebody who's going through something like that, I can only imagine how valuable, how wonderful that is to have that person in your life. And most of the time, and, and I hate that this is the truth, but it's really the truth, there's usually just a few. There's just a handful of people that you can say will be there in those times. And it's not because that's the way it should be. But praise God as He raises up our us to be those faithful ministers. You are Epaphroditus in, in this church. Praise God. And in your community. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1. And we'll go to chapter 1. So we'll go back to chapter 1. But verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent. I may stand fast in one spirit. With one mind. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, this would have been the other part of um, the, the main theme, I would say, would be here is a oneness of mind. And so we here have, we're encouraged when we're together. 
we're encouraged when we're together. I know that I have received a tremendous amount of encouragement just even over this test. I have more people telling me, you'll pass it with flying colors. All will go well for you. No worries, brother. All is great. And I'm the one worrying, and they're the ones encouraging me. But how many of us need that in our life? You're the one going through the struggle, and you need somebody, somebody who steps up and says, you know what, whatever's going on in your mind and your emotions is, not the, is a relative thing. It's not the truth. And you know, when it's all said and my, done, my life, my wife, she's like, okay, so did you overstudy for this? And I'm like, shh, don't, I'm not going to, I don't want you to talk about that. And the reason being is, yes, I did. I did it out of stress and I did it out of other struggles. But the beauty of that was she looked at me, she's like, I knew it was going to be easier than you, you had thought. And I was like, I was afraid it was going to be easier. And I'm like, that's sad. You know, I study hard and uh, it's not as difficult as I was studying for. But it's great because it turned out to be wonderful. But all I'm basically trying to say is that we need those people in our life that when you are at the end of your road, when you've come to that point when I can't keep doing this, I don't know, you definitely need the voices of encouragement in those moments. That's what we need. And so you guys have been that to me. I can't tell you how many times that I have received a gift. As a matter of fact, I've got right here on my chair. This, Honey, could you hold that up real quick? I just got to show. This is a blessing to me. It's a heart. It's a huge heart cookie as a blessing was given to me for this. And I look at that and I'm thinking, that's the kind of thing that I, rem that I need as a remember of encouragement. And sometimes it's the little things, folks. I remember Micah had said there was a woman who had the gift of showing up. It said she always seemed to show up at just the right time. So if you've got somebody in your mind and you're thinking, you know what, I don't know. They come to my mind. I don't know if they're doing good or not. Please give them a call. Just, just reach out to them. You might be amazed at how providential that moment was. You know, there was a story of a man and his wife that I knew. And they did a bus ministry and they were reaching out in, in the community of Walla Walla. And they were going out and reaching out into the, the parts of the community that were struggling parts of the community and, and reaching out to the kids. And um, there was, they would invite them to come to church. And so they were at this new area. And there was this little girl that knocked at the door. And I don't think she was more than eight or nine years old. And then she had two other siblings that were younger than herself. And they came to the door and knocked. And I don't know what they shared. And I don't know what they said. But they showed up there on God's planned schedule. Because that young girl, this is what she said. She said that the Lord had spoke to her. That she was ready to commit suicide. Because she came from a drug home. And she said she was ready to commit suicide. But that the Lord spoke to her and said, I'm sending somebody your way. Now, wouldn't you like to be the person on the other end of that line? That... She was, and you know, those kids didn't have a healthy home to grow up in, but they did get opportunities to go spend time with these people. And they were there, and, and they wanted to be in their home more than in their mom and dad's home. There are so many broken homes in this community. We don't just have to be ministering to our brothers and sisters. You will find at every area you turn, there's somebody with a broken life. 
And some of the best things that Jesus has ever done inside of me was to get to see somebody that they looked so helpless, I felt like I couldn't do anything for them. But what a breaking. What a love. What a pouring down and saying, Lord, I feel my finite structure. And I don't know what to do. But all I do know is this. I love them so much. I don't want to see this any longer. I want to see victory in their life. And I think there's a special people that all we're saying is what makes them different is that they are radical about love. I mean, I'm not kidding. And they're not about about their own life. They're radical about the loving other people. Whatever they're, they're experiencing, you're joying and rejoicing with those who rejoice and you are weeping with those who weep. Isn't that the meaning of what he's saying here in Philippians when we look at the historical side of this whole thing? It's that the furtherance of the gospel is, is he says, you are my joy in the Lord because while I'm suffering, you guys are thriving in love. You guys are thriving as a church. You guys are even as a home church, but you are thriving within the community of darkness that you're surrounded in. Your love is perfect because we see your joy. We see your thanksgiving. We see you rejoicing. We see you coming together. We see you providing, not just mine, but others' needs. And so then he begins to pick out. Maybe, hold on, let me hold on a second. One last thing, and miracles happen only when miracles are needed. And so not in every instance we need a miracle. Do we see the miracle that we were looking for? But there's always a miracle behind the scene. I'm amazed. I think we're going to all be amazed when we stand before the Lord and we get to see what He did, what He preserved you from, what He kept you from, how He kept you from dying, from the situations that would have kept you from your faith you would have been able to see and you're going to see a broader picture of all the things God did with His unseen hand. So let me get back to the title of the message. We uh, Do you mine? So there was two jewels written of here in Philippians. Two jewels. And Paul names both of them and he makes a statement. I want you to look in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 25. Wait, sorry. No, verses 20 through 21. Let me get you to the right spot there. The preacher misleads you. You got troubles here. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Listen to what he says in verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. What Paul was looking for was somebody that would go back to this church and be a minister to them that didn't have their own priorities and other things in mind. And so he's saying, I have found, I found only two jewels which I've been able to mine out that are willing to do this work, that they don't care for their own life. They're not worried about themselves. They're concerned about you. And one of them was Timothy. The other one was this Epaphroditus. He was Paul, he was well, like Paul was saying. That there's nobody but these two men that I can trust to go to you and minister to your needs and be there for you right now and to let you know what the will of God is concerning the situation. While I'm shut up in prison, I can't go. And his hope was that he could go soon after, but he didn't know when and all those things. So what you see here is 
that Epaphroditus was a jewel. Now let's go back to and just contrast what I just wrote to you in verses 25 through 30. And we just reread this verse yet again. Yet I supposed it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all. And this is a King James Version, but I think it's good. He longed for you all and was full of heaviness because that you had heard that he was sick. Isn't that amazing? Here he is in his own time of need, and his greater concern is that this is becoming a burden to other people when they're thinking of him. It's almost like he's like, they're going to want to minister to me, and I am not set out for them to minister to me, but to me to be there for them. And Paul is basically saying, when you walk the road of the early apostles, when you read it through Scripture, you don't see what you see in our Western culture mostly. What you see is men that every corner that they turned to preach the gospel, they were persecuted for the things that they said. They were thrown in jail for that. Some people were beaten and killed for just ministering Christ. So in this environment, Paul was saying, the hardships that you have to endure, few and far between, will be willing to endure these hardships to be able to accommodate the gospel for the purpose to honor Christ in regions all around us. And so whenever he was going, he knew that struggles were coming. But he saw in Paphroditus the same heart and the same spirit of self-denial and loving sacrifice that Jesus had introduced to him in his ministry. So here Epaphroditus goes and he ministers to him and he gets on the edge of death. Now listen to what Paul says. For indeed he was sick in verse 27, nigh to death, but God had mercy on him. And not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul was saying, if this man had died, I would have went in sorrow and wept and broke in my environment. If there's anything that would have taken away his consolation, it was to watch another fellow companion and soldier and somebody who endured sufferings for the sake of Christ. Somebody else who had that same love to come to an end because that was the promotion of the gospel. That was what promoted Jesus in those days. And so he saw him as a jewel. You know, nobody talks about somebody like that and says, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow. God had mercy on me by sparing him unless you see that person as a jewel as a jewel. So do you mind? Meaning, have you got a few jewels in your life? Have you got a few people that you can say it would be sorrow upon sorrow if they were gone? They are precious to me and they were an amazing testimony of God. So you remember a time in Acts where Paul was getting ready to leave and he's telling the people that he may be, it may be the final end to, to everything. And here they are, and they're, they're crying, and they're struggling to let him go. They're struggling to let him go. And it said, he said, why do you make me weep? I know and I feel compelled that this is God's call and his will, but you're making this difficult for me. You're making it difficult. 
And I think everybody who's our brother and our sister genuinely loves Jesus, you make it difficult. You make it difficult when we have to say goodbye, when there's a change in your life and we don't get to spend that time with you that we used to, when our fellowship is broken a little piece at a time because of the love that you brought into this fellowship, because of the presence of Jesus that you brought into our life, because of the gifts of love that you deposited there that were just because you had an overflow of that love for Jesus in you. And that ministered to us. And so that's why, you know, the body of Christ is so much different than anywhere else you go because there's this reaching out and this love. of, And, you know, sometimes people don't realize you know, we see those church splits and people go one way or the other way. But the reality is, is that you're so loved. You're so much a part of us that we just don't want to let go of you. And, and we understand that the will of God takes you in other places. But really, it's so hard to let go of somebody who has the Lord, send them and let them be a blessing there that they were to me. But Lord, that's so hard. You know, I want to keep them for myself. So. I think one of Paul's struggles was, and you see this in Philemon, another epistle was, that he was getting ready to send Onesimus back to Philemon. And he was basically he was an escaped slave. And he goes all the way out, and I forget the distance. That's something you should study. But the distance that he goes, and he just happens to, Paul just happens to find the, the slave that ran away from Philemon. You know, and all of that. And then he turns him to the Lord. And he tells Philemon, he says, I want you to receive him not as a slave, but as a brother. I want you to receive him as a brother. And what's the important message here? There's going to be people that are so far lost in sin that when they come into the fellowship of God, there's damage is done. Let me tell you this story. I think I've shared this with some of you, but some of you have never heard this one. When I went to Bible school, Back in Pennsylvania, I was in Pennsylvania, Grantville, Pennsylvania. It was a small community in Pennsylvania, not too far from Harrisburg. And I was coming in my first year, and I met one of the, the third-year senior students. This would have been the last year I would have gotten to see him, or got to see him. And we, uh, we were introduced to one another because we both came from Walla Walla. And you didn't find very many people from this side of the community all the way over there in that, that side. So whenever they heard... There was somebody like that. They tried to put you together. Maybe you have some stories that mesh. Well, here I am getting to meet Tom Mueller was his name. And Tom, uh, he, he, we were sharing with one another our stories and the detail of those stories. And here, finally, he's like, what high school did you go to? Well, I went to Walla Walla High School. Well, what high school did you go to? I went to Walla Walla High School. What year did you go to? Well, I went to your year and those kinds of things. Well, come to find out in the end that he was... Here he is, a Christian young man, and he was one of the people, was a huge mystery to us for a long time, that had egged our house. <laughs> so here we come to this, this full circle of what God can do. And you know, I could have been in the background of my life and remembered that this evil that he had done was a reason for me to cut him off and to hate him and have nothing to do with him. Or I can accept this brother that came out of the slavery of his sin and some of his sin was pointed at me and yet he was now become a brother. He's no longer a slave, but I'm able to receive him as a brother. And isn't that amazing that that's exactly what God does? 
in our groups, that all of us have come from a past life that we can truly say, I've been an enemy to God. I don't, I, oh, there's only one place I deserve to go. And Jesus has saved me wonderfully. And I've been majestically altered because of what the Lord has done. So here we are, and we're seeing that God's ultimate message to us is that sometimes precious metals are mined out of dark and hard places. Have you, anybody here done any mining? And you're not just washing for gold, but actually digging and pick and shovel or whatever you do. Is obviously, you're like, you haven't mined. I can see that. But have anybody done any mining? Anybody in here done any of that? Well, good, because we're all well ignorant of how that works. But we can say this much. Out of what we do know about mining is that these men put themselves in dark tunnels to be banging at rock until they find precious gold. And when you have an Epaphroditus, when you are an Epaphroditus, you are precious gold. So do you mine for these kinds of people? Do you look in dark and hard places? Jesus, send me to places where your name has not been welcomed. Send me to places in dark parts of this community and other people's lives. Send me to those because you might have a jewel somewhere locked in the rock of Wallowa County that's just been in the darkness somewhere, and we just want to see them mined out for the Lord's purpose and design. So I want to, um, in the closing here, I want to remind us that this is Jesus' heart. He came for us, not for the healthy, but for the sick. He came for those in time of need. And we want to remember that part of when we're out there, whatever we're doing, you know, that they don't know how good Jesus is until you introduce it through your life. So I'd like for the worship uh, team to come up. We'll take some time to just uh, respond to the Lord through this, um, this message. There's a few things that I would like.